0: All right, let's look at Micah chapter 7, verse 1 through 7 uh, as our passage for today. Micah chapter 7, verse 1 through 7. Also, um, we are having our our heating and air conditioning replaced currently, so if it's a little bit warm in here, that's the reason it's going to happen here soon, so Um, just be patient with us on that. Uh, Micah chapter 7, verse 1. How sad for me, for I am like one who, when the summer fruit has been gathered after the gleaning of the grape harvest, finds no grape cluster to eat, no early fig which I crave. Faithful people have vanished from the land. There is no one upright among the people. All of them wait in ambush to shed blood. They hunt each other with a net. Both hands are good at accomplishing evil. The official and the judge demand a bribe. When the powerful man communicates his evil desire, they plot it together. The best of them is like a briar. The most upright is worse than a hedge of thorns. The day of your watchman, the day of your punishment is coming. At this time, their panic is here. Do not rely on a friend. Don't trust in a close companion. Seal your mouth from the woman who lies in your arms. Surely a son considers his father a fool. A daughter opposes her mother, and a daughter-in-law is against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own household. But I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, you are all that we have. And you are all that we need. We just sang that, Lord. And we look to you this morning. We look to you as Micah did. As the God of our salvation. Lord, that you are our only hope. In this life, you are our only hope in our death. We thank you for the fact that Jesus is risen today. He is a risen Lord over all of reality, and he reigns through churches like Wellspring and others that are preaching the good news of the gospel here today uh, in our world. So we ask that you would help us now as we listen to your word and as we seek to believe it and obey it. In Christ's name, amen. So, uh, if you are uh, new with us this morning, we have been uh, in a teaching series called Future Now. Uh, we've been looking at the book of Micah in the Bible. Uh, Micah is in the first part of the Bible, which is called the Old Testament. And Micah was a prophet, as he spoke the words of God uh, to, to the people of God. Now, a lot of times in the church, the way that people think about prophecy or the way that it's talked about is merely predictive, meaning, that the prophets were looking into the future and predicting things right now one of the main ways that that goes haywire is you have a lot of uh, false teachers and, and guys who don't understand the Bible and they, they twist and pervert the scriptures and they mainly uh... interpret uh... the prophets as stuff that's happening uh... only in the twenty first century america i'm pretty sure uh... the application is a little more broad right, uh, than just twenty first century america but, um, Um, a large part of what the prophets were doing was not just predicting the future. They did do that. I would say the bulk of what they were doing was calling people back. They were calling people back to what God had already said a long time time ago. And we see that in our passage this morning. We see it in Micah's sadness. Micah here is lamenting, right? He's mourning. He's grieving over the state of his society. Over uh, his nation, his, his people, he's lamenting uh, their lack of growth, their lack of fruit uh, in their lives. Uh, I don't know about you, but most people that I know want to grow in life. They want to be better people, they want to be better husbands, they want to make more money, they want to uh, be more moral, or, or uh, husbands, fathers, whatever it might be. Um, and then other folks don't like where they're at in life. So really, no matter who, you're at, who you are or where you're at, you, you want to grow in life. Uh, you want to grow. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about growth. So the first thing we're going to look at is growth's goal. What is the goal of growth? Like, wh- what's the target we're shooting for in life? Micah chapter 7, verse 1, is how he puts it. How sad for me. For I'm like one who, when the summer fruit has been gathered after the gleaning of the grape harvest, finds no grape cluster to eat. No, no early fig of which I crave. And Micah is saying here that he's sad when he looks out at his culture and his community and he doesn't see any growth. He doesn't see any uh, uh, fruit in their lives. It would be like showing up at uh, Apple Butter Festival and there's not a single apple. That would be kind of sad. I mean, you, you might expect to see a couple, you know what I mean? Um, so fruitfulness is actually a theme that runs throughout the entire Bible. Right, you can trace it all the, way, uh, all the way from the beginning. Israel, the nation of Israel, was supposed to be like an orchard or a vineyard. I'll show you this. Uh, Isaiah chapter 5, verse 7. For the vineyard of the Lord of armies is the house of Israel. See that? The men of Judah, the plant he delighted in, he expected, this is the fruit that God expected, justice. But he saw injustice. He expected righteousness. But here's what he heard. The cries of despair from people, all right? So both of these passages are really echoes all the way back to the uh, Garden of Eden. If you remember, God had Adam and Eve up in the garden and he, he commanded them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So Adam and Eve were supposed to take the, um, the peace and the paradise of Eden and they were supposed to expand its borders to fill the entire world. This is what they were called to do, fill the world full of the glory of God. Fill the world full of the the knowledge of God. So, the goal of growth is this type of fruitfulness uh, in your life. So, and here's, here's why this is good news. If the goal of your life is to grow, to be the person that God calls you to be, you know what that means? Your life has a purpose. Just think about that. You're not an accident right? You got breath in your lungs. You walked in those doors uh, this morning because your life is not an accident. You are here for a reason. You know, in our culture today, what we think that means is the reason that we come up with ourselves as individuals. It's the meaning and the reality that we recreate. That's not it. God tells us top down uh, what our purpose is uh, in life. So, I, I have a full-time job. I work as a case manager uh, in substance abuse and uh, A couple, uh, some clients of mine were born around the year 2000. So I was thinking about this this past week, and I was like, you guys ever heard of Y2K? You guys forgot about that, didn't you? (laughs) So I asked these these folks that, and they had no clue uh, what Y2K was, so I had to break it down for them. And in case you don't know, um, uh, people were, it stands for the year 2000, and people were freaked out because the computer systems only um, had two digits uh, rather than the four. So... When uh, 99 was getting ready to change over to 2000, nobody knew what was going to happen. Right? Everybody thought the world was going to come to an end. People were buying shotguns, and you know, they were prepping uh, for the zombie apocalypse and everything. Um, and I remember, do you remember what you were doing? New Year's Eve, 1999? Some of you don't remember. I know exactly what I was doing. I was partying like my life didn't matter. That's exactly what I was doing. That's the way I, I lived my life, the way I thought about Life, and there's a lot of people who live their lives like that uh, today, right? They live their life as if their life doesn't matter because ultimately, in the end, you know, I don't think it matters. It makes a big difference if you think that you're here for a purpose, like God has you here for a, a reason. That type of mentality of, of, of thinking that your life doesn't have a purpose and meaning leads to fruitlessness, right? And this is the type of thing that Micah is lamenting here, um, We celebrated my wife's birthday this past week, and we bought her an ice cream maker. Right? That's the gift that keeps on giving. Give it to your wife, she makes the ice cream, and you get a return on investment. Right? So, um, and it came with instructions, it it came with instructions, told us how to use the thing. Here's the good news. The Bible tells you what your purpose is, what you are to do, who you are as a human being. Right? You know, apples, apple trees, what do they make? Apples. I know, this is not rocket science, right? Yeah, that's what they do. That is their purpose. You are a human being created in God's image with a purpose, and that is to glorify him. That is the target, to honor him uh, with your life. I, w- I want to show you this, Romans chapter 11, verse 36. Romans, Romans Paul is just laying out, Who's Jesus? And why did he come into the world? And what did he do for us? Right? And at the end of that, when he starts getting into the nitty-gritty practical details, this is what he says. For from him, God, and through him, and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. See that? right? That pretty much sums up everything. That from him are all things. God created all things. And that everything came into being through him. He was the means by which all of reality was created, including you, and it all should go back to him. That is, God should receive all the glory for all that he has done and continues to do uh, in the world. So, everything that God has made has the same ultimate purpose, and that is to glorify God by demonstrating how great he is. This is why God does everything he does that he might get the glory, that he, he might get the, the honor. So this point is important, is essential to your life because it explains the purpose of your life. Right? The purpose of your life. You were made to glorify God. You were made to de- demonstrate God's greatness. Right? And his, his value and his worth above all things. So our community group, we have a community group that meets at my house and uh, the guys uh, in our group, and the ladies as well, but the guys, uh, we have a men's group that meets uh, once a month, and we'll read through books, or we'll study books of the Bible and stuff like that. We have a great time. But um, this past week, we, we finished up a book, and afterwards, we grilled some hot dogs, and then we went up on the hill behind my house, and we all shot guns, right? And it was a great time. We had, we had a blast, no pun intended. But, uh, we, yeah, everybody had their guns, and they were so excited about their guns that they wanted to share it with everyone else, right? Hey, try this out. They right? try this gun, right? And, uh, and, and the reason is because they, they're excited about their, 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 their gun, right? And this, is, this, is, this is the same with God. God did not create the world because he was needy and lonely and deficient. God is excited about God, right? There, is there anything greater that God could give you than himself? If God is the greatest thing, just think about it. If he's the best, what beyond himself could he give you? Right, so God created the world to share himself with you, that you might know him, right, that you might taste and see that he is good and find your ultimate happiness, meaning, satisfaction, and purpose in him. So that is the goal. Next, we're going to look at uh, gross disappearance. Look at verse 2. Faithful people have vanished from the land. There is no one upright among the people. All of them wait in ambush to shed blood. They hunt each other. With And Micah is uh, saying here that uh, faithful people have vanished from the land. It's a famine uh, in the land uh, of faithfulness. And if you remember last week, we, we talked about this word faithfulness, that God wants us to love faithfulness. You remember that? Micah chapter 6 verse 8, the love faithfulness. And the meaning of that word is, is that you love faithfulness. The fact that God loved you so much that he sent his son into the world to die for you, and you want to show that same love. That's what it means to love faithfulness. You're thankful for how God has loved you, and you want to demonstrate that type of love to other people uh, in your life. Mike is saying this type of faithfulness is gone. Right? I read one scholar on this passage. This is what he said. No more damning description of the people could be presented. This is, he, he's saying this, this type of love is utterly gone from, from the community, from, uh, from, from God's people. So picture an orchard owner. Around this time of year, this is harvest time. You know, and, they, and they go out to harvest, and they see all the trees are bare. All the trees are dying. Right? This is what Micah sees when he looks out uh, at his community, at his society. And, and why is that? Why has faithfulness uh, disappeared and, and vanished Well, it's because of the tragedy of the fall, of of the fall of Adam and Eve, when they chose to walk away from God and try to figure life out on their own, try to pursue a purpose of their own, a happiness of their own, that that all of humanity and the entire creation fell in Adam. And it was catastrophic. But this is why God chose the nation of Israel. God chose Israel to be like humanity 2.0. It was his do-over with humanity. I'm going to start afresh. This is going to be a new humanity, a new creation. And what happened to them right out the gate? They fell flat on their faces. They began to worship other gods and moan and whine and complain and disobey God uh, in all kinds of ways. They failed. See, our fruitlessness in life has a long history. It goes all the way back to the Garden um, of Eden. and See, that is the source of our disease. That's the source of our rot is that the beginning Humanity in the very beginning. And Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 1. Uh, in Romans 1, Paul is laying out our great need for Jesus, our great need for the good news of the gospel. And he says that God's wrath is being revealed from heaven currently. That God is demonstrating his wrath against all, uh, hu- all of humanity by l- giving us over to the desires of our heart. God says, hey, you want, you want that? You think that's the purpose of your life? You think that's really going to make you happy? Have at it. Right? That's, his, that's his wrath. That's his judgment uh, towards sin. And look what he says there in, in Romans chapter 1, 21-31. For though they knew God, as all people know, uh, know God deep down in their hearts, they did not glorify him as God. You see that? That's our purpose. They failed to do what they were supposed to do, or show him gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless, their senseless hearts were darkened. This is 31. Foolish, faithless. See that? Micah says, faithfulness has vanished. Paul says, all of humanity has become unfaithful because of sin. Heartless, ruthless. Uh, Last year, uh, in our garden, uh, we planted a bunch of cantaloupes. We had cantaloupes everywhere, right? We had like 20-some cantaloupes, right? And, uh, I, man, they were growing. They were getting about, the, no, they were getting about that big. And I was getting excited about the cantaloupes, right? But we didn't realize some little critter had got up underneath of the fence, right? It was in there. Right? He was just gnawing. You can see where he just gnawed away at the, uh, the cantaloupes. He killed them all, right? Just a little bit. Just, and he just gnawed at the cantaloupes, and they, and they died. That's what... Sin gnaws at the fruit in your life. Sin gnaws at the faithfulness in our life. It kills the growth. And the Bible says that's all of us. We're all sinners. The Bible says that we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. That is, the glory of God is the target for our lives. And we say, I'm shooting over here. We ought to aim over here We say, now I'm going to hit this target over here. There is only one truly faithful person who has ever lived there is only one truly fruitful person who has ever lived and that is the Lord Jesus Christ Jesus said this about himself John 15 verse 1 I am the true vine see that? I'm the true vine and my father is the gardener and what is he talking about? well he's hinting at Israel remember Israel was supposed to be that vineyard Israel's supposed to be that vine. Remember the garden? Adam and Eve were supposed to be this, like, this fruitful and multiplying and filling the world full of goodness and blessing. Right? See, we're fruitless, but he is the fruitful vine that we we're all supposed to be. What Israel was called to be but failed to be. See, Jesus is the true vine. God is just. God is holy. God is righteous, and he must punish sin. Right? Or he wouldn't be just. He wouldn't be good. He, he wouldn't be a, a, a good guy. Because sin dishonors his glory. Sin, sin just drags God through the mud. Right? It, it slanders his name. It, it tramples his name uh, in the mud. See, God would uh, be unjust not to punish injustice. And see, this, is why, this is why Jesus had to die at the cross. See, at the cross, Jesus was this fruitful vine, but he was hacked down. His life was taken away from for us and for all of our sins. Look at how Apostle Paul uh, talks about this in, in Romans chapter 3, verse uh, 26. The cross is what he's talking about. Jesus, it, God did it to show his righteousness at the present time. Look at this, two things God did. He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. See, at the cross, God showed how holy Righteous and just he is by punishing all of our sins in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he died on the cross. Jesus bore the wrath of God, the judgment of God, the justice of God for all of our fruitlessness. But at the same time, those who have faith in Jesus receive from him all of his fruitfulness, all of his faithfulness, all of his goodness. So a great exchange took place at the cross where Christ got what you deserved, and you get from him what you don't deserve. Right, that's the beautiful thing, that, that through faith in Jesus, and it's not by trying harder. You, you don't get right with God by trying to be a moral person or trying to be an upright person right, or, or trying to be good, trying to be more fruitful in your life. No, you get, you, you get right with God by faith in Jesus, by believing the gospel, the good news of what he's done for you in Christ. And when you come to receive that good news, because it's offered for free, you become grafted onto Jesus like a vine. Right? When, you, when you graft some branches for, from a tree onto another tree, they'll produce fruit, hopefully. Right? I have a picture of this, just so we can see. Right? This branch right here with all the life in it, that's Jesus. This is us over here. God, in his grace and mercy unites us to his son, the Lord Jesus, who is the true vine, so that we can actually be the people that God called us to be, so that we can produce the fruit uh, that he wants us to. So listen to what Jesus says about this in John 15, 7 and 8. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this. Here it is, that you have produced much fruit and prove to be by disciples. So how does Jesus say all this happens? How we uh, bear fruit in our lives? Well, we belong to Jesus. We stay connected to Jesus. We continue to trust the words of Jesus. We pray to God our Father through Jesus. All right, this is how we grow. And when we do that, this is, this, uh, we glorify God. and we, we honor him and we prove to be uh, his disciples. So Right, that's how we, that's how we, uh, we grow and we glorify God, right? So Micah goes on, we'll talk about gross area next. Micah goes on to list all kinds of specific areas of life where we ought to grow. Um, just it's like, just like our garden, I'm sure, like yours, you have um, different sections, right? You've got your tomatoes in one place, right? You've got your cucumbers and your zucchini, maybe you've got your herbs, you've got some berries, strawberries, but you, you don't have it all just thrown together. Right. So Micah lists several different areas where we ought to be bearing fruits. Look at look at verse seven, uh, chapter seven, verse two. Faithful people have vanished from the land, and there is no one upright uh, among the people. So Micah says, "All right, we ought to be faithful people." Another way to think about the word faithful is um, those who have covenanted together uh, with the Lord. Right. Uh, So, the covenant uh, community. God, uh, I'm going to explain this. God is a faithful covenant keeping God. So, when you look at the story of the Bible, right, covenants show up at almost every important part. God made a covenant with Noah. God made a covenant uh, with Abraham and with the people of Israel and with David. And the new covenant was fulfilled in Christ. Those are promises that God made um, with his people. So, In all of those instances, God is promising to do for us what we cannot do in and of ourselves. A covenant involves four things. You guys ready for this? Still with me? Okay. All right. Number one, a covenant involves a public promise. And two, it forms an intimate relationship. It involves ongoing obligations. And number four, it's sealed with a special sign. So think about a wedding ceremony. All right. Wedding ceremony, people get up. They make a public promise that forms an intimate relationship. We make obligations to one another to death do us part, and it is sealed with a sign, right, sign of a, uh, of a ring. A covenant is a promise of future love. So when God entered into a covenant with us in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, he was promising to love us despite all of our unfaithfulness, despite all of our sin, and God has committed himself um, to us. And the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is a covenant community. This is what the church is. See here at, at Wellspring, right, we promise to be faithful to one another and to love one another as Jesus Christ has loved us. This is the basis for our relationships in the church. This is, this is what every church ought to be about, All right? This means that we are obligated to one another because that's what, that's what a covenant is, All right? A covenant is a promise but it's also, it, it forms relationships that have ongoing obligations. So as a Christian, I'm not just living my Christian life on an island as an individual by myself, but no, I'm obligated to you. That means what I do affects you. Right? That ought to, ought to promise to you and be faithful to you and, and, and not give up on you, continue uh, being patient with you, and, and, the, and the same goes for me too. So the church of the Lord Jesus is one of the main Areas where our lives get fertilized and we bear fruit. So it's it's as we begin to get to know people and build relationships, right, and m- obligate ourselves to one another and love and serve one another and commit our commit ourselves to a specific uh, church that we begin to bear fruit. I'll show you this. Colossians chapter one. Colossians chapter one. Paul is writing to this church, and he's talking about he's thanking God for them. Thanking God that uh, the good news of Jesus came to this guy, uh, one of Paul's uh, friends, Epaphras, came to this town of Colossae, he shared the good news. People believed it, and they be- became a church. And he says, look what happened. He's talking about the gospel here. This message of good news came to you. Look at this. It is bearing fruit. That's what we're talking about, isn't it? And it is growing all over the world. Look at this. Just as it has among you since the day you heard it. And came to truly appreciate God's grace. So as the gospel was being preached at this church, all this life began to happen. As These people that were gathered together uh, and obligated to one another, it began to change their lives. So how does this work? How does God do that? Right, well, he does it in all kinds of different ways. Let me just mention one. Right, we grow as we become members of the church. Yeah. Let's think about the book of Colossians for a second. Now, when Paul wrote that letter to them, uh, do you think he knew he was, who he was writing to? He had to know who is this group of people that I'm writing to. And when they received the letter from Paul, you, you think they thought, I think he got the wrong address. I'm going to send this thing back to, uh, to USPS, and uh, he, he needs to send it to, he got the wrong, uh, wrong group of people here. No, he knew who he was writing to, and they knew who they were. They were the church at Colossae. And if you read the rest of the book of Colossians, it's hard to live the type of life that Jesus demands of us without real obligations to real people. Look at what it says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 14. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Right? How can you do that without knowing who to do that with? Right? This, is, this is church membership. Membership is picking a local church and commit yourself to the people to love them, all right, And to be faithful to them and serve them, care for them, all right? This is what unites us together. Membership is a challenge to be faithful to Jesus, but also a challenge to be faithful to some real people, all right? That's, that's what it is. The good news is here in November we'll, we'll have a membership uh, class, uh, and uh, we'd love for you to sign up and, and participate in that. And this type of love and faithfulness that, uh, that uh, Micah is talking about here, it ought to spread out. Starts here, but it goes out there, right? It ought to spread out into the community. Look what he says in verse uh, 3 Both hands are, are good at accomplishing evil. The official and the judge demand a bribe. When the powerful man communicates his evil desire, they plot together. So Micah is obviously talking about. Uh, this is not. The, this is what it ought not to be this way, right? He said these people were ambidextrous. See that? They were good with their left hand, and they were good with their right hand, but at doing what was wrong, at doing um, evil uh, in the community. He mentions specific people, doesn't he? Officials, judges, powerful men. The implication, what this implies, is that Christians and church folk. God's covenant people ought to be out there in places of influence, in places of power, right? Doing justice, doing what's right, being people uh, of integrity, and taking your Christianity with you into the public square because Jesus says so. Right? We don't go to our jobs and go out in and, uh, and, uh, political uh, positions or whatever and, and chuck our Christianity and leave it behind. No, we take it with us so that we don't do what's evil, Because Jesus tells us what's evil. He tells us what's good. So when we go to work, we know what he wants us to do. All right, this means that um, Christians shouldn't take bribes. We shouldn't be influenced by how much money people have. Or losing money uh, as a result of doing what's right. And Christians shouldn't show partiality to certain people. We shouldn't treat certain people one way and another group another way. I don't care who it is. That's partiality. Look what Proverbs chapter 28 verse 21 says about this. It is not good to show partiality, yet even a courageous person may sin for a piece of bread. Right? I mean, even just for a little bit of money, you know, a Christian is tempted to, to do what's wrong and to treat people uh, differently. It doesn't matter who it is. Right? We need to do what's right and not be scared uh, of the consequences. All right, he goes on, Micah chapter uh, 7 verse 3 and 4. I think that's what it is. Yeah, verse 4 at least. Um, the best of them is like a briar. The most upright is worse than a hedge of thorns. The day of your watchman, the day of your punishment is coming. He's talking about how the prophets were like uh, lookouts, telling the people, warning the people of God's judgment that they might turn, a, turn and repent and come back to God. At, the, at this time, uh, their panic is here. Micah is saying here that the people were prickly. Right? They were like briars. Uh, growing up at uh, one of the houses that uh, we lived in, um, there was a lot of cactus out in the field. And we'd be out there playing football, dive and catch, right into the cactus. Right? You get tackled, man, both of you right in, in the cactus plant. And it was that type of cactus that has the little hair-like things. You ever, you ever get one of them on it? That's not fun because you can't see uh, where the thing's at, Right? So Mike is saying, don't be like that, right? Don't be a cactus. Right? Don't be uh, prickly and, and cause pain out in the community, Right? This, is, this is not what God wants us to do. He wants us to bear good fruit when we go out into the public square. Right? We ought to bring healing to people. Right? We ought to show real compassion to people, real love and acceptance, grace, mercy. All right? and, and, and the last place he mentions is the home. So the church, community, home. Look at what he says there in verse 5 and 6. Do not rely on a friend. Don't trust in a close companion. Seal your mouth from the woman who lies in your arms. Surely a son considers his father a fool, and a daughter uh, opposes her mother. A daughter-in-law is against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies are the men of his own household. So obviously this should not be the case in your family. And You know, you know Jesus Christ quoted this passage about himself? If you look at Matthew chapter 10, when Jesus is sending out his disciples into the world, he says, um, I didn't come to make everyone feel all good and bring a bunch of nice feelings and niceness. He said, I came to bring a sword, not peace. Jesus Christ is the most polarizing person who ever lived in the history of the world. He is a dividing line, right? And, and it makes sense why, right? Because yet yeah, Jesus is here with us the church, but he also follows you home, to your house, and he tells you how things should be run in your house. He says, hey, what you're doing there, I like that. Over here, we got to stop this. This over here is wrong, right? And he comes up in your house and starts moving things around and telling you what to do and bossing you around. He is the boss. He is the Lord over, over all of creation. He tells us what home life is to be like. So the fruit that is to be born out of our homes Can't look like this uh, right here. So he says here, uh, back in the beginning of that passage, he says, seal your mouth from the woman who lies in your arms. Watch what you say with the woman who lies in your arms, right? So men, the woman who lies in your arms ought to be the Christian woman that you marry, okay? If you're looking at a woman on a screen, looking at pornography on a regular basis, then you need to repent of that. If you're the woman who lies in your arms is not your wife, then you need to stop doing that, All right? And here's what that looks like. Here's what repentance means. It means manning up and being a godly, respectable man who a godly Christian woman would want to marry. You've got to start there. Uh, to who, who the men in the church would say, yeah, we recommend him. Would, would they recommend you? All right? Repentance means finding a Christian woman that you like and asking her to marry you. Doing whatever you got to do to find her—that's what it means. This also means that Christian ladies don't settle for uh, uh, Christian ladies don't settle for men who aren't godly Christians. That's going to be a train wreck. I guarantee it. Right? You, you 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 don't settle. Right? Find a guy who's serious about following Jesus. Right? And he says here, seal your seal your mouth from the woman who lies in your arm, arms. Right? This is a picture of distrust and dishonesty. It ought not be the case in our marriages, in our homes, right? There ought not be any secrets between you and your wife. And if there are, you guys got to do whatever you got to do to come clean. You got to trust Jesus enough to know that you're forgiven. Trust Jesus enough to know that your wife or your husband is going to have to trust Jesus with this thing, right? You got to come clean, right? Because that's going to constantly, that's going to continually defile your uh, marriage, And you ought to be able to talk about everything in your marriage. We all talk talk about everything. Yeah. Right? Not not hiding anything. This also means that we need to be faithful to our marriage vows when we feel like it and when we don't. Yeah, absolutely. Because there's going to be times when you feel like it. But there's also going to be times where it's really hard to love one another and to stay together. Right? This also means keeping your word and your promises uh, to one another. A man's household ought to be a place that bears much fruit. See, when kids are growing up, especially the little ones from like one to five, they got to be taught that Jesus is Lord over the home. Draw it out, draw pictures, whatever you got to do. Jesus is the boss. That's what I used to say. Jesus is daddy's boss, right? But everyone else is up under dad, right? I'm the boss. I'm I'm responsible to lead my family uh, well, right? That's, that's, that's the way it is. We've got to teach um, the kids that dad is under Jesus, but they are under the authority of dad. And children ought to respect and obey mom and dad. And when they don't obey mom, they disobey dad too and Jesus. This is fruitfulness and growth. Look at uh, what, uh, Paul, how Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 and 4. You guys still good? All right. Uh, children, Paul was writing it to the church and he speaks to the kids. Children, obey your parents in the Lord because this is right. And then he quotes from the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may have a long life. Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So for kids, this means... For kids and parents, you need to know this, that whining, complaining, hesitating, back-talking are unacceptable in Jesus' kingdom. And we have to teach the kids this, right? Uh, This means that fathers, fathers need to be serious men. I don't mean serious with, you know, your demeanor all the time. I mean a serious Christian with some weight in your life, some gravity, like, like it means something to you. That right? it affects your life. You, your kids ought to respect you and know that dad loves Jesus above everything else. Absolutely. Right? Fathers need to apologize all the time to the kids because we're sinners and we blow it. Right? They need to hear, dad screwed up. You know, you please forgive me. You know? I, do, I do that all the time with my kids. If I sin, they need to hear me uh, apologize to them, fathers need to develop wisdom so that they will be considered wise. Because this passage says a son considers his father a fool. That ought not be the case. A lot of times, kids think dad's a fool because dad is a fool. Right? Dad needs to, dad needs to grow up, be a man, might be respectable. We need wisdom to be wise and to lead our families into these things and not be foolish. And here's the deal. We can't do any of this without Jesus. We can't do any of this without Jesus. We need the vine to bear the fruit. That's why Micah ends ends this passage the way he does. He starts out with crying out and lamenting over his society and over his community and over his church. But he ends uh, with a prayer of hope, statement of hope. I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. I love that. We need to never stop looking to Jesus. How can we be good Christians without Jesus? How can we we do our job the way we're supposed to do out in the community without Jesus? How can we we be good moms and dads and kids up in the home without Jesus? We need him for everything. Maybe, Maybe you've had a hard time with some of these things. Maybe you hear some of the things and you're like, there's no way I can do that. You're right. We can't. No way I can, I, can, I, can, I, can, I can go and find a, a Christian woman to marry or, or, or whatever. Be a person of integrity. Right? Look, at Micah, look at what Micah says here. My God will hear me. He hears us. He hears our prayers. That's what we want to do now. We want to look to Him. Right? We want to seek Him.